Would you please turn with me and your program uh, to your study outline? And I'd also like to welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends at the Baptist Community Church in Arco, Idaho, and also our friends at Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to start our new series called What's Next? But today, I want to do a standalone message, a uh, New Year's message, a new decade message called Your Timing is Everything. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 6, for there is a time and a way for everything. So we're going to look at six times uh, during the coming year, during the coming decade, that God wants you to move faster and four times that he wants you to move more slowly. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. Uh, these are just examples you could add uh, to this list. But six times this next year, this next decade, God wants you to move fast. Uh, four times he, he wants you to move uh, slower. So when should I move fast this year? Uh, Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy that he was mentoring, run hard and fast in the faith. He wrote to the church in, in Corinth, run in such a way as to get the prize. A couple of verses later, he said, so I run with purpose in every step. And I want this to be a concrete spiritual exercise. I, I really don't want this to be theoretical. So if you take your outline out, if you get a pencil or a pen, uh, you could jot down a couple of notes as you go through this. If you don't get a chance to do it, because I'm going to go through this material quickly, then pull it out later today or before you go to bed tonight and I want you to write down something in each one of these 10 areas. I want you to write down six concrete areas where you need to move faster in the coming decade and four where you need to move more slowly based on what we're going to see within God's Word. You know, last night I finished preparing my message and I pulled out the outline to do just what I'm asking you to do right now. And I had such a precious time with God, just quiet before listening to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit telling me the 10 areas, six he wanted me to move faster on, four he wanted me to move more slowly in the coming year. So the first one where we need to move quicker in the coming year is number one, when God tells me to do something, I need to move faster this coming year. Uh, in Mark, he records what Jesus said here. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they, the disciples, left their nets and followed him. Uh, they, they, they did it immediately. Uh, you know, as a parent, the words you love to hear, the words I usually hear when I say uh, to my, our teenager, our young adult, or to uh, our children uh, through the years, when I say, I do such and such, you know, take out the garbage or, or, or do the dishes or something like that, usually what I would hear as a parent is these words, hang on or just a moment. And I tell you, I'd almost pass out from a heart attack if I heard them say, okay, and they jump right up and they do it. Just drop the video games right where they are. Mid-game, you know, drop the video game, boom, jump up and go and do that thing. Those moments when it happens, it's like you hear heavenly voices singing and angels singing. And God's the same way. When he asks us to do something, we hem and haw, we procrastinate. But then when he asks us to do something and we're quick to do it, that's a blessing to God as well. Uh, David writes in Psalm 119, I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. David was called a man after God's own heart. And here's one of the reasons. He said, I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. So let me start with this question. What does God ask you to do that you need to do as soon as possible in 2020? What is the thing God has asked you to do, you've been putting it off, that you need to do in 2020? Now here's a second category. When I need to ask for or offer forgiveness, 
I should move more quickly. Uh, Jesus said, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. So let me ask you a question. Who do you need to ask forgiveness from? Who do you need to forgive? And, and if you're sitting next to that person, do it in code or something, you know, write it down there. Maybe write just the initials down there. But who do you need to forgive? Now, let me just say something about forgiveness. And, and this is a sermon on its own, but I always need to qualify this whenever I just say we should be quick to forgive. I'm not talking about an automatic change of emotions in, in a moment's time. Uh, your emotions are not the issue. It is an act of the will to forgive somebody. And so what I like to do is I like to envision that I'm in a courtroom and God's the judge and I'm one of the witnesses uh, for the prosecution and there's this person that has hurt me in some way. And I say, even if I say it through gritted teeth, even if I say it still feeling wounded inside, I choose to drop charges against this person. I do it as an act of the will. In the same way God forgave me, now I choose to forgive this person. It's not about emotions. Uh, emotions may never change. You may go to heaven until you're freed from the bitterness you have towards that person. Now, don't get me wrong. When you choose as an act of the will to forgive them, feelings over time will lessen and maybe even change. But don't feel bad if they're not eliminated altogether. Satan loves to whisper in your ear. Here's what he loves. He loves to condemn you with this. He'll say, you know, a pastor will preach like I'm preaching right now. You should forgive others like God forgave you. And he'll whisper in your ear, you know what? You still don't like that person. You still don't prefer to spend vacations with that person. Uh, you still don't have warm fuzzies whenever you see that person. You must not have forgiven them, therefore God's not going to forgive you. That is a lie from Satan. It is not about your emotions. You can forgive somebody and still have hurt. You can forgive somebody and still have feelings, negative feelings towards that person. But as an act of the will, you say, I choose to forgive that person, and now God help me with the feelings as, as time goes on. So right down there, who do you need to ask forgiveness from? Who do you need to forgive? A third area uh, when I need to move more quickly in the coming decade is when I feel tempted. Uh, Paul uh, wrote again to a young man that he was mentoring. He says, run from all these evil things uh, to the church of Corinth, Christ followers that were in the city of Corinth in the nation of Greece. He says, flee from the worship of idols. Uh, four verses later, he says, run from sexual sin. Whenever you get to sexual sin, by the way, he always says run. He doesn't say, see how long you can hang in there and not give in. The Bible never says that. It says, it says run. Don't resist it. Run from it. Uh, if you don't want to get stung by the bees, stay away from the hive. And sometimes we're not supposed to face down a temptation. We're supposed to run from that situation if it's possible. Sometimes you got to stand because there's nothing else you can do. But if you can run, you should run. What's an area of your life where you need to run from it? What's a temptation that you need to run from it? Uh, growing up in southern Virginia, our main form of recreation um, was to ride in the back of a pickup truck. Now, it's just not fair. Those of you that grew up in southern California, you had Disneyland. 
we had pickup trucks that we rode in the back of. That was, that was our main form of entry. You know, so friends come to visit us. You guys say, let's go to Disneyland. We would say, let's get riding the pickup truck. And so the most exciting way to ride in the back of a pickup truck is with the tailgate down on the edge as far as you can go, which is dangerous because if that pickup truck hits a bump, you might fly out. Safest way to ride in the back of a pickup truck is to shut the tailgate, get all the way in the bed of the truck, up to the back to the cab, close to the driver of that truck. That's where we're supposed to be. And that's the way we're supposed to be with temptation. There are certain temptations we say, you know, I wonder how far to the edge I can get. How far can I go and not fall off? Let's see how close I can get. Let's see how strong I am, how much I can resist that. God says, no, run, force, run. Get as close up into the bed of the truck, right up to the cab, right up to the driver, Jesus, as you possibly can. Another story, I remember when I was a kid, our parents would have devotions after dinner at the supper table. And they had this little Bible, this little story devotional book. And it had all these vivid illustrations in it. And the ones that I would most remember when I was a little boy were ones that had to do with snakes, because I've always been terrified of snakes. I'm just, just phobic of snakes, you know, afraid of snakes. And so the, those are the ones I remembered. So I remember this one story, and I remember this, I can tell it right to you, 58 years after I've heard it, I can tell you this story about a man that had a pet bowl constrictor, and he used to play with it, and uh, he'd have his little, and it, when, when he was young, and he had this little baby bowl constrictor, and he'd wrap it around his neck, and he'd bring it out every day and play with it, and wrap it around his neck, and imperceptibly, a little bit over time, that bowl constrictor got bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger. Until one day, when it was fully grown, he wrapped it around his neck, and it choked him to death. That's the kind of pleasant stories my my parents raised me on, you know. And I remember as a little boy, my eyes being big, and said, so I'm not going to do that with a bowl constrictor. And the devotional compared it to sin. That there's some sin and we coddle with it, and some temptation, we kind of play around with it. And we say, you know, I'm getting by with it. It's no problem. It's, it's, it's little now. I can handle it. But over time, it grows stronger until it can come to the point of destroying us. And so the third area where I want you to jot down there, what's an area where you need to run, forest, run uh, from temptation? Number four, fourth area where I need to run faster in the next decade is when I've made a promise to God. Uh, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, when you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through. For God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to him. Keep all the promises that you make to him. Now, I want to just say a little sidebar here uh, to those of you that are married. And I'm going to read to you. If you're married, this to me is like one of the scariest verses in the Bible. But hang with me. I'm going to, I'm going to scare us all real good, including myself. And then I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to use it as a form of motivation and encouragement. Uh, Peter writes, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Now, he's writing to husbands here because husbands had all the power, had all the control uh, back 2,000 years ago. Now it's more egalitarian. I would say uh, this is to wives and husbands. It applies equally to husbands and wives here uh, today. Honor your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. Uh, she may be weaker than you are, he's referring to physical strength, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. What that tells me as a married man is that if I am unkind to Kimberly, my prayers are being hindered. 
If I'm wondering why my prayers aren't answered to the degree I wish my prayers would be answered by God, I need look no further than this verse and realize if I'm unkind to Kimberly, it will hinder my prayers. And so I just want to say a word to you husbands. If when you're unkind to your wife, it is holding back the answers to your prayers. And wives, if you are unkind to your husband, it is hindering, it is hindering your prayers. As a matter of fact, just remember some, some promises that you made. Uh, be quick to obey your promises. Probably most of you uh, had vows very similar to this. These are the vows that I use when I marry a couple. And I'm guessing that your vows were somewhat similar. And so it's the beginning of a new decade, so we're going to renew your wedding vows right here, all right? So husbands, you put, your, put your name in there, whatever your name is, Javier, Jose, John, put your name in there. Do you solemnly agree before God and these witnesses to take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife, to love and respect her, you promised that, honor and cherish her, you promised that in health and in sickness and prosperity and in adversity and leaving all others to keep yourself only unto her so long as you both shall live. And now, ladies, put, put your name in there, Jill or Susan or Joanne. Do you, in like manner, solemnly agree to receive this man as your lawful wedded husband, to love and respect him, you promised that, and to live with him in all faith and tenderness, faith and tenderness, you promised to be tender with him, in health and in sickness, in prosperity and in adversity, and leaving all others to keep yourself only unto him so long as you both shall live. Now let me give you a selfish reason to be kind to your husband or to your wife. I always like to come up with selfish reasons for doing the right thing because I will always act in my own self-interest. And, and I think this is biblical. You know, I've shared this before, that David, when he went to kill Goliath, they said, why do you want to kill Goliath? Well, he has dishonored the name of the one true God of Israel. Good motivation. But David said, but by the way, what will I get if I kill him? And they said, oh, well, you'll get tax-free for your family for their whole lifetime. You'll get a bunch of money, and you'll get the king's uh, daughter uh, hand in marriage. He said, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. So, so David had a selfish reason for killing Goliath as much as he had a lofty reason, a God reason for killing Goliath. And I like to have a selfish reason to be kind. And so um, the opposite of hindering, I believe, is also true. I, I think it's fair to say that if your prayers are hindered when you're not kind to your spouse, when you are kind to your spouse, even when you don't feel like it, even when they're not kind to you, you are still kind in response. Even when they're not kind to you, God puts your prayers on steroids. Uh, he, 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 put, he supersizes your prayers. As a matter of fact, you should be grateful for an unkind spouse. No, I'm just kidding on that. I'm you know, saying, Glenn, you're going too far on that. But I'm telling you, when they're unkind to you and you are kind in response, I believe God sees that and strengthens your prayers, all right? And there is nothing that God won't do for those who keep their promises to him. So what is an area where you need to keep your promise to God? Where's an area for all of us that you've made a promise to God that you have not kept that? You need to be quick in the next decade. Uh, number five, I need to be faster uh, when I have an opportunity to do good. Proverbs 3.27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. 
Now, it's not in your study outline, but I love this verse, and so write this in. I, I didn't put it in the study outline. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 4. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 4. Uh, farmers who wait uh, for perfect weather. Let's just put that one up there. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 4. There it is. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. That is such a great, great verse. How many of you, I am so guilty of this, so guilty of this, okay? This sermon is basically preaching to myself, and you can listen in. How many times have you ever caught yourself saying, I will do that thing when things settle down? How many of you? Here's a newsflash. They never settle down. I have a joke. I've had the three best assistants ever in the history of the world. Uh, uh, Florence Millard, who's sitting right back there, and Bev Mowdy, who's sitting right there, and Tina Tong, who is in the background making sure everything's organized. And they are just fabulous. And we've had this ongoing joke, because I have lived with the illusion that a month from now, my schedule's gonna clear up forever. And that's the big joke. It's just a month from now, things are gonna settle down. Uh, you know, I, I've been that way since I was 15 years old. You just, it seems like it's been a dead sprint since 15. Things never settle down. So what do we need to do now, not when things, quote, settle down? Maybe rooted. Have you ever, have you, ever you know, said, man, I should get to rooted? About 1,500, over 1,500 people in our church family have gone through rooted. Have you gone through rooted? You say, well, I'm waiting until things settle down. You know, wait until the kids are a little bit older, or wait until the kids are out of the house, or I'm waiting until I'm retired, uh, I'm waiting until I'm dead, then Pastor Glenn won't bother me anymore about rooted. I promise you, when you're dead, there are certain advantages to that. I won't bug you about certain things. So maybe, maybe rooted, uh, maybe join a life group. You've been saying, yeah, I'll join a life group when things settle down. Maybe finding a place to serve. Uh, volunteering for one of our ministries here, guest services or parking patrol or nursery or children's ministries. Yeah, I'll do that when things settle down. Maybe now's the year. This is the year to find a place to serve. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll begin to tithe. Uh, this is one we is a little bit different. I'll begin to tithe when I make more money. This is the form that it takes on, on giving. I'll be more generous to God's work when I make more money. And you'll just never make enough money for you to feel comfortable about taking that step. It's just a step of faith that you take. And let me just say to those of you that are younger children and, and young adults, do it early so that it becomes natural when you're older. I mean, when I earned 50 cents a week as a kid, I tied five cents out of that. And it's like brushing your teeth. It would be painful to start brushing your teeth at the age of 50 if you've never done it before. Um, it may not even be anything left to brush if you waited until you're fit. And, and, and yet, if you do it when you're young, it's a habit. Now you'd feel gross if you didn't brush your teeth uh, several, times, several times a day. Uh, Kimberly and I, when we um, first started out in ministry together, we were making 1000 a month and tithing $100 out of that $1,000 a month. And, and it just was natural to us. So now that we make tremendous sums of money later on, you know, just huge amounts, then it's a natural thing to do that. And so sometimes we say with our time, when things settle down, sometimes with regard to generosity, when I make more money, uh, do it now. Do it now to get the blessings now. Jesus said in John 9, 4, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming 
and then no one can work. Jesus is coming. Can't do any good then. Uh, Going to be in heaven. You can't share Christ with friends. Uh, then you'll be in heaven. That, that'll be over with. And so he says, work now. Have you ever noticed how quickly a day goes by? You ever start out a day and say, I'm going to get 10 things done. And by four in the afternoon, you've gotten maybe one of those things done. Isn't it amazing how a day flies by? And the same way a lifetime can fly by. And so Jesus says, quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one sent us. The night is coming. And then no one can work. It'll be the harvest in, in heaven. We'll get the results of how we have sown in, 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 in this life. And, and, then, and then the next one here, number six, is the most important one of all. I need to move quickly when God offers me salvation. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Indeed, the, quote, right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. If you're watching online or you're in Kalispell or you're in Arco or you're here today and you've never committed your life to Jesus, what a great way to start a new decade. You say, Glenn, if I want to follow him, how do I go about doing that? Well, if you look right there in front of you in the book rack, you'll see something that says next steps. And there are three steps to becoming a follower of Jesus. And then there's a little suggested prayer there. And I would encourage you to pray that prayer, or you, at the end of the service, we're going to have prayer for things that we want to pray about in the new year. I'm going to invite you down with some of the pastors and other uh, people here at the front, and, and just during the closing worship time, if there's anything you want prayer for, uh, for the coming year, something you want to commit to God during the coming year, the coming decade, maybe this would be a good time to come forward and pray with somebody, or you can take this home with you, and when you get a quiet time alone later today, just go through those steps. Today is the right time. Today, God says, is the day of salvation. Rick Warren says, not to decide is to decide. Well, those are the things to move quickly on. Now, where should I move more slowly during the coming year? Let's use the remaining time that we have about when should I move slowly this year or in the coming decade. And it's all about pacing. Sometimes you need to go faster. Sometimes you need to go slower. I know it doesn't look like it, but I used to be a distance runner. And you're saying, no, Glenn, you got to be lying. You were a shot putter or a discus thrower. You, you're not a distance Well, in the old days, I ran mile in high school, and my specialty in college was 1,500 meters, basically four laps around a track. And if you were trying to run a four-minute mile, the key was to try to run about 60 seconds, one minute, for four laps, and you get a four-minute mile. And we had a saying among middle-distance runners that for every second you ran too fast in the first half of the race, you would lose two seconds in the second half. That if, is, if you got all excited and, and ran 55 seconds in the first lap and 58 seconds in the second lap, you would die in the second half of that race. And so sometimes life is all about pacing. Sometimes you got to go quicker, and sometimes you've got to move more uh, slowly. Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays a folly. You know, we worship spontaneity in our culture. We worship it. People say, you know what? You just got to go with your gut. Just, just, just follow your heart. How many times have you heard that, follow your heart? How many of you, like me, have got, ever gotten in trouble following your heart or, or just going with your, your, your gut instincts? Uh, but it, it, Follow your heart. But the Bible says that your heart can lie to you. 
In Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the Bible says the heart is deceitful. Your heart can lie to you. So the Bible says you need an objective source of truth outside of yourself. We need God's word and the counsel of other people and their guidance as an objective source of truth outside of ourselves. So four areas where we should move more slowly in the coming decade. Number one, when I don't have all the facts. When I don't have all the facts, move slowly. Proverbs 19, verse 2. Enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes. Last Sunday, we talked about this and the importance of getting all the facts and listening to each other. And by the way, I don't often do this, but I have never had as much positive response to a message as I did last Sunday, which kind of hurt my feelings because I only preached part of it and it was other people involved. I'm just joking. I'm just kidding. We had a panel discussion up here and I just got a flood of emails just uh, people love that message, and so I encourage you to go online. I preached on how to stay unified even during an election year, and there was a talking about listening and about getting all the facts, and, and where do you need to slow down because you don't have all, all the facts? What is an area, a decision you're making, and you need to get more facts before you make that decision? Uh, a second time to slow down is when I'm hurt, angry, or depressed. How many of you have just done, said the exact perfect thing you needed to say when you were enraged at somebody, when you were angry at somebody. You gotta slow down when you're hurt, angry, or depressed. Uh, James talks about this. He says everyone should be quick to listen. Talked the whole message about that last Sunday. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. And when you do the first two, you'll usually be able to do the third one. If we're quick to listen... If we're slow to speak, then usually we will be slow to become angry. Uh, Proverbs 15, verse 28. The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. Boy, this is a great verse. I gave you a great verse last Sunday uh, for social media. Um, uh, Proverbs 18, verse 13. If you weren't here last Sunday, jot that down. Proverbs 18, verse 13 is a great verse for social media. Here's another great verse for social media. The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking or texting or emailing or tweeting. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. And my goodness, when you go online, some of the vitriol that you see of critical, angry people. And, and I know this is harsh, but the Bible would call that kind of talking out of anger and criticism and demeaning another person is the mouth of the wicked speaking, and it's overflowing with evil words. Number three, another time to go more slowly, is when I'm making a major decision. What major decision are you going to make in 2020 where you need to slow down before you make it? Proverbs 21, verse 29. The wicked put up a bold front, but the upright give thought to their ways. Proverbs 4, 26. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet, and be steadfast in all of your ways. Proverbs 21, verse 5, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Proverbs 22, verse 3, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Um, you may want to get married in 2020, or you maybe are hoping to meet the person you're going to marry in 2020, or maybe you want to get married um, or meet the person you're going to marry in the next decade. And I would encourage you to go slow. 
go slowly when you're dating. Because when you're dating, you're on your best behavior. Just you're on your best behavior. And you need to let that fade a little bit before you make that decision. Let that kind of the shine go off of that newness a little bit before you make a decision to commit your entire life to that person. I mean, right now, you talk on the phone for three hours with that person you're dating. That may not happen um, once, once you get married. That, that may not happen. Um, he goes to musicals with you now. That may not happen when, when you get married. Uh, she watches four NFL playoff games with you over a weekend. That may not happen once you get married. Now, I got lucky on that one. Literally, Kimberly said to me at the beginning of the weekend, how can we plan our weekend around watching the four NFL playoff games? And I said, oh, Lord, what good thing did I do as a child uh, to deserve this? Remember in Sound of Music, uh, somewhere in my wayward childhood, I must have done something good. Oh, God, you have blessed me in such a wonderful way. Uh, maybe you're standing in a store and you have an impulse to buy something. Ask yourself the question, what do I need to do today to get where I want to be tomorrow? Maybe you're hoping to get out of debt um, in the years ahead. Maybe you're hoping to buy a house. Maybe you're hoping to buy a car. Um, and so when you see that item that you want to buy, and you're standing there in the store, you're online, and, and you see that item, what do I need to do today to get me to be where I want to be tomorrow? Or in all areas of our life, what do I need to do at the beginning of this year in order to be where I want to be at the end of this year? Or what do I need to do at the beginning of this decade in order to be where I want to be at the end of this decade? And that leads us to number four. We need to move slowly when I'm waiting for a seed that I've planted to grow. Um, Solomon writes, for everything there's a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest. Uh, Solomon wrote uh, a few chapters later, plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon for you don't know if profit will come from one activity or another or maybe from both. Habakkuk writes, if it seems slow, the vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, do you have anything in your life right now that seems slow in coming? Wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Now, here's a principle that I want to kind of begin to wind things down with. You always harvest in a different season than you sow. I mean, farmers, they sow in the spring, they harvest in the fall. You always harvest in a different season than you sow. Let me say a word of encouragement to those of you that are students. Those of you who have students, have you ever looked at your material in the classroom and said, why do I need to learn this? Have you ever, let me, let me ask past students, how many of you ever in your life looked at the material you had and said, why do I need to learn this? And, 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 and you feel like, you know, I'm, I'm sewing right now, I'm working hard, there seems to be no benefit to this right now. Now, I'll, I'll just tell you, it's amazing to me how God doesn't waste anything in your life. I've just been amazed how certain things that I did not see any purpose in them when I learned them being helpful to me later in my life. But I, I will tell you something I know for sure which is the discipline of learning something, whether it's a trade that you're learning or maybe it's something in the classroom that you're learning. Um, if, 
if you, if you, you will harvest in a different season than you sow. And you may be discouraged uh, in this season now, but hang in there. Be, wait patiently because you will harvest in a different season than you sow in. Uh, maybe in your job, you're just feeling looked over right now. You feel like you're just doing your job in obscurity. And don't get me wrong, if you get a chance to change to a better job, you do that. But maybe you don't have that opportunity right now. And you just feel like you're working in your job, and it just seems like you're working in obscurity. And let me just encourage you that you always harvest in a different season than you sow. And God is doing something in your life, even during this season, of what you feel is a dead-end job. Uh, you know, I think in, in the, so many great examples in the Bible, David and Moses were two of the greatest leaders that ever lived. And they spent significant portions of their life staring at smelly, stupid sheep. It's been a big shock. And I'm sure Moses, who many people consider one of the gift, most gifted leaders that's ever lived, David, certainly in that category as well, I'm sure as they sat there spending their whole day dealing with smelly, dumb sheep, thought to themselves, I was made for more than this. And, and let me just encourage you, you always harvest in a different season than you sow. And it may not even be till you get to heaven that you find out that your faithfulness, maybe, I mean, I hope that it leads to something that you can find more fulfillment in. I, I pray that for you in the coming year. I'd love to, if you come forward during the closing time of worship, if you feel in a dead-end job, I would love the privilege to pray for you that God will find something where you have greater fulfillment. But even if you don't, even if you go to heaven having had that experience, you always harvest in a different season than you sow. And God may be doing things that you, you don't even realize. For those of you that are parents, uh, do we have any discouraged parents here today? It's almost part of the job description. Discouraged grandparents. And you, you young parents, and you spend the day dealing with feces removal from changing diapers, you know. That's what your life is about right now. Or you're, or you're building into your children uh, just inch by inch certain principles that you believe are going to help them later on. You build into them a love for the things of God because you believe that's going to help them later on. You're dealing with that a teenager that's going through a tough time right now in their life and you're loving them through that time, just wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Um, you always harvest in a different season than you sow and you get back more than you planted. You plant a seed and yet from that seed comes a harvest and that happens positively and negatively. You're generous to God's work you will get back a harvest of blessing in this life or in the next. If you sow anger, you'll get back uh, negatively a harvest of woundedness. So what's the area of your life where you need to be patient? You know, I love to use this illustration of the Chinese bamboo tree where a, a farmer with a Chinese bamboo tree plants the seed and waters and fertilizes it first year, nothing happens. Waters and fertilizes the second year, nothing happens. Water and fertilizes the third year, nothing happens. Fourth year, fifth year, sixth year. Finally, in the seventh year, he waters and fertilizes it, and boom, in two weeks' time, it grows 70 to 80 feet in the air. And so much of what is eternal, it happens that way. You, you always harvest in a different season 
than you sow. That's the story of our church now is in its 150th year, 150th anniversary that we're going to be celebrating this year. Mark September 20th on your calendar. We're going to have a super big bash that particular day. And, and I think about this church, and you know, we've been doing some research on it, and this year I'm going to be sharing with you how utterly unique it is what God has done in this church to be thriving to this degree after 150 years very few churches, and I'll share with you the others that share that with us, but only a few churches in, in American history, possibly even world history, the history of the church of Jesus Christ, you've been a part of that. And it's because through the years, faithful believers at every chapter and every juncture of our church's life have sown even though they don't harvest till another season. And they've sown and then harvested and sown and then harvested until God has done something unprecedented, unique, I would dare say even historic in this place that you are a part of. Um, I want to pray, um, and, and, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going I'm to pray this prayer for you, and I just have a little one-minute video I want to show you as the praise band is going to come up for worship. Then we're going to close in worship that wonderful song, Oh, Come to the Altar. Oh, Come to the Altar. And I've got some people up here at the front. And if there's something you'd like to pray about for the coming year or the coming decade, um, it can be something small. It doesn't have to be something huge. But if there's something you'd like prayer for for the coming decade, for the coming year, um, we would just consider it a great honor to pray with you. Be bold about it. Don't be, don't be, if you're in the balcony, it'll take you an extra 20 seconds to come on down. But let's pray about these things as we, we close off. But here's the prayer. I want to pray for you. It's the prayer that Solomon prayed at the dedication of the temple. Here's what I want to pray for you, my church family, during the coming decade. May he keep us centered and devoted to him, following the life path he has cleared, watching the signpost, walking at the pace and rhythms that he laid down for our ancestors. And we pray this together as a church family in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.